Okay. Outstanding. <clears throat> uh, Friday morning, I, uh, some, every other Friday, I get together with some of my old buddies, and we meet up in Roseman, and some of them are going to work up in Mojave or up in, uh, at Edwards, and, um, so I get up extra early and go up there, and I buy cheap gas in Kern County, <laughs> cheaper than L.A. County, anyway. Um, it's about 15 cents a gallon cheaper up there, so uh, it's, it's worth the drive. And then uh, I go over and I have breakfast with my, with my friends. And uh, one of the guys has this habit of bringing some people along every once in a while. So I got to have breakfast with Dick Rutan on uh, Friday morning. <laughs> and um, interesting to uh, uh, sit across the table from the first guy to fly around the world unrefueled, nonstop. <laughs> and uh, interesting guy. Uh, lots of opinions. <laughs> Let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, how incredible and awesome and powerful you are. Heavenly Father, we, we read of the power and the might and the sovereignty over the universe. And it, it does not compute for us how incredible you are. We know that you are incredible, but our ability to understand the full meaning of that, it's beyond us. And when we stop and consider that, Lord, we, we also have to consider how incredibly insignificant we are before you and how we have failed you. How undeserving we are of the kindness and generosity and love that you have for each of us. That you would send your son down from the throne room where he rightfully belongs. And that he would willfully leave and come down to be born a, a small baby to a poor family and to live a very humble existence here on earth. And to live that perfect life, and then, at the end, to suffer at the hands of injustice, to carry all the sin and all the, the willful disobedience that we have displayed and embraced and are incapable of stopping. Lord Jesus, you walked up on that hill on that day carrying all of our sin and you took it away from us. How lost we are without you. We forget, we fail to look to you, Lord. We ask you this morning to come down and remind us. Remind us of our humanness. 
and to listen to the words of Isaiah and understand how small we are before you and how great you are. Lord God, give us the wisdom to heed the words of Isaiah here and to understand them. Give us that discernment, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, chapter 46 of Isaiah. Um, by the way, I did like lay everything out, and it looks more like Memorial Day now. <laughs> Before we finish Isaiah. Um, so it's going to be warm again by the time we get all done with Isaiah. Just wanted to let everybody know. Um, so I'm going to cover all of Isaiah 46 today. Bill will crack open chapter 47. It's a long one. I suspect he's, he's not going to get all the way through the first, the first week with uh, uh, Isaiah 47. Maybe two weeks, maybe even three. I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty long one. Once again, uh, here in Isaiah 46, um, you can tell just by looking at it, it's laid out in stanzas. So it's either a poem or a song. I suspect a song. And um, uh, Isaiah is singing a warning again, this time to those who worship the Babylonian idols. And the idols do not move, they do not answer. The Lord answers, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And that's the big middle section today. And then at the very tail end we get... Um, the stubborn hearts do not hear, and then God says, I bring, bring near my righteousness, and my salvation will not delay. And that's right at the very end. So uh, three sections, the Babylonian idols, and then we have the big middle section, I am God and there is no other, there is none like me. Then finally, uh, section three at the very tail end, um, I bring near my righteousness. So let's get started. The idols of Babylon do not move, and they do not answer. Verses 1 and 2. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. So these two verses right here are actually the first section. Bel and Nebo are, are two of the idols of Babylon. Bel was also known as Marduk, the god of thunder and lightning. Bel came from one who was created the order from the chaos and created the universe. And this is what the Babylonians believed. Marduk overcame all the other gods that existed to become the greatest god. And then Nebo, who is also known as Nabu, was the god of writing and the god of agriculture. And Nebo was the, also the god of mud, if you stop and think about that. The idols would be carved of wood or stone, and then they would have to be carried with great carts because the, the idols themselves were so big and heavy. They would use cattle or buffalo to, to, care, to pull the carts to take the idols to their temples. 
That's why the reference here to the, the burdens of weary beasts. Something that came up as I was reading about this history of, of Bel and um, Nebo was that Babylon would fall in 593 BC to the Persians. And so these particular idols of the Babylonians would be crushed if in 539 BC by the Persians. So continuing on, verses 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who has been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, and I will carry, and I will save. Here in verses 3 and 4, the Lord's care is like that of a mother caring for her infant child. The Lord promises to the house of Jacob, the remnant of the house of Israel. Recall that Israel... We, we hear that and we think the nation right off the bat, right? But Israel was actually the name given to Jacob by God. So when it says Israel here, the house of Israel, that's the house of Jacob. That the Lord will carry them and he will save them. Um, Genesis 35.10. Genesis 35.10. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel. So right there in Genesis, you have where God actually changes the name of, of Jacob to become Israel. In all of our ages, the Lord shall be there. And that is what is God, and God is saying here in these verses. Isaiah 49.5. Isaiah 49.5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Deuteronomy 131. Deuteronomy. 131. And in the wilderness where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. God carries us. He doesn't forget who we are. And very significantly, we're the ones that always forget, right? We, we think we're, we're the ones doing all these things. It's God that's the one that's actually doing them. Hosea 11, 3 and 4. Hosea 11, 3 and 4. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. God takes care of us in so many ways that we don't even think about it. We sit down and we say grace and we share a meal. Every bite you take 
that food came from God. God grew that food. Wherever that food came from, God was the one that made that happen. Verses 5 and 6. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we, we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god and then they fall down and worship. This thing's not going to like zap me here, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> To, to whom would we declare alike to God? Money? Gold from our purse? Is this what we worship? That's what the Babylonians were doing, right? They, they look at this gold and this silver and this wood and they would carve it and make an image. Verse 7. They lift it to their shoulders and they carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Here in verse 7, <clears throat> Isaiah is pointing out the false gods, the false idols cannot move. They're not real. They are even less than we are. We are the ones that created them. They do not answer. Verses 8 to 10. 8, 9, and 10. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times to things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. God is reminding us to remember this. To those who continue to flee from the Lord to false idols, only the Lord is God, and there is no other. The Lord has declared these things from the beginning. The Lord's promise shall stand. It's interesting to me that so often we think of our modern society as being very materialistic. And money is actually just another way this, this plays out, that you see it. And it's amazing how much of the secular world is in love with money, worships money. It is the only thing to the secular world. Our, it is the material things. And so they, they do not have an understanding of things that are beyond them. Anything that they don't understand does not exist to them. Thursday, we were getting ready for our uh, community group. And um, we're all retired now, right? So we can all get together on Thursdays for lunch in the middle of the day. We sit on the front porch in the warm sunshine, and on the really warm days, I have to get out of shade and put it over the front porch, and we sit out there. And um, I was getting ready, and I was carrying things out, 
and I left the front door open and a bird flew into the house. And um, I didn't realize this at first. I was at the sink and there were a couple of dirty dishes left over from the previous night. So I was putting those into the sink and all of a sudden I heard something thump on the rear window. And I thought, oh, a bird just ran into the window outside and there's something fluttering around in the sink. And it was the bird and it was stunned and uh, just a little brown wren, right? And so I'm trying to catch it and trying very hard not to hurt the bird, right? Because they're, they're very delicate. And the thing ends up in the dishwasher. So I'm trying to disentangle this poor thing from the, the, the dishwasher. And I finally got it all wrapped up and you know, holding it very gently and I can feel its heart just going boom, 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 boom. And, and uh, so I carried the thing outside and I opened my hand and it flew away. And uh, I'm sure that bird's going back to tell all of his buddies. And I escaped from the monster. He didn't eat me. That's the first time that's ever happened to me. We, we've had birds in the house a couple of times before. We have a lot of birds out at our place, which is, is really kind of cool. I like that a lot. So, birds. Verse 11 and 12. So here is Isaiah, right? Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. A bird of prey from the east. I think Isaiah is trying to talk about Cyrus. Cyrus is the emperor of the Persians that come and conquer Babylon. And so I think that's what Isaiah is talking about here. Cyrus overcomes Babylon. And the Cyrus then is the one who releases the Jews and lets them come back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And so this happens, and Cyrus issues the proclamation for the Jews to rebuild their temple. Actually, it happens three times. There's the, um, the first one was by Cyrus, and the next two were by the following kings. But recall that the temple exists for the sacrifice. Okay? And the sacrifice is the thing that the Jews do that expatiates the sin of the nation of Israel, which is the house of Jacob. So think about this. The temple gets rebuilt, and it's actually, the temple of Nehemiah is actually quite austere compared to the, the temple of Solomon. And it's, it's carved of stone, but much of the gold and the silver has been taken away and does not exist at that time. And so who is it that actually fixes the temple to become the beautiful, decorated temple once again? And it turns out 
of all people, it's Herod the Great. So Herod the Great is the one that fixes up the temple. And he does this just before Jesus comes. So, Herod the Great completes the temple. And this is just in time for Jesus to come and teach his ministry and then to die on the cross. The Lord had spoken it from ancient times and the Lord will bring it to pass because the Lord had purposed it. It's the Lord who did it. The Lord calls out to us, even to the stubborn of heart, and we who are far from righteousness. Here you have Herod the Great actually rebuilding the temple just so that the temple will exist for the ultimate sacrifice, which is Christ. And then just a few years after Jesus dies on the cross, what do the Romans do? They destroy the temple. The temple existed just for the sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. And for two millennia since that time, the temple has not existed. The Romans are actually doing the work of God. Herod the Great is actually doing the work of God. Now, none of those people intended to do the work of God. To them, it was all about them, right? But to God, it was all about him, and it was his purpose. And that's why all those things happened, and when they happened, and why. And so here, Isaiah is actually talking about little bits and pieces of that before it happens. Continuing on, verse 13. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. So here, immediately, to me, this immediately speaks of Jesus. Jesus is God's righteousness. And Jesus is the one that brings salvation. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. And so when Isaiah says, Israel, my glory here, this is actually the church. Jesus cleans up our mess. Right now, Ma, Grandma is cleaning up the mess. <laughs> so, the Lord brings his righteousness. Who is the righteousness? Only Jesus, who is the Lord. Jesus is not far off, and Jesus is the Lord's salvation for the house of Jacob the house of Israel. Jesus is the salvation of the Lord, and the Lord does this for Zion, for Israel, for his glory. Once again, Jesus is singing, Isaiah is singing of Jesus here. All of history points to Jesus. This is the pivotal moment where the Lord's perfect plan 
all comes together and it becomes clear what has to happen. And that ends our passage today. To, to me, the way this plays out, the way Isaiah brings this out, always calls to mind Christ because of the way he lays it out. I strongly suspect Isaiah knew that this would be something amazing. I don't know that Isaiah understood all of the pieces. I, I had hoped that before we had Advent this year that we would get through Isaiah 52 and 53. That did not happen. We will do that in January, at, right after Christmas. But the reason 52 and 53 are so incredibly important is because that's where it's clear Isaiah is talking about Jesus. All the things that will happen later, and, and that's going to be, I don't know, maybe three or four messages that Bill and I are going to have to work through here to get you all of those pieces when we get to 52 and 53. And it's going to be so clear that Isaiah is talking exactly about Jesus. And right here is another reference, and it all builds up to that point. Jesus is the pivotal point in all of history. So next week is the humiliation of Babylon, and Bill is going to handle that one. And here we have Isaiah, talking about the righteousness of God. God has his purpose. He has the end in mind. And how everything that happens, even the little things that happen in our lives, that we don't tend to think about, those are all connected. This one thread that goes all the way through. And when it talks about the house of Israel, the house of Jacob, we should immediately think of the church. This is really about the church. That's exactly what is going on. Are we seeing and hearing God's calling? Do, do, do we hear that? Do we understand that? Isaiah is singing to us the song of redemption how God will redeem Israel. God will bring church back to him. And all of God's people will flow back to the mountain of the Lord to sing worship and praise to him. You can see it here. Isaiah is saying to us, look to God. Soar on his wings. God will be the one there in the end. And God is the only one who can save. Ultimately, while Isaiah was here on earth, things did not end well for him. The chaos and the tumult of the world caught up with Isaiah. And the world, when those things happen, the world thinks it wins by putting people to death in that way. 
But that's not what God thinks. Isaiah displays his hold to the anchor, to God, and how that served God's purpose. And ultimately, everything that goes on serves God's purpose and his greatness. And God's greatness will be there on the final day, the day of the Lord, when we all get to witness his greatness and his splendor when Jesus comes again. Let's pray. Almighty Jesus, you are so incredible. The words that speak of you have been kept and handed down to us through the ages, from Isaiah to the apostles, All these years, Lord, your words are here. Down through the ages, just to give to us. And despite all this, Lord, we have been unfaithful. We keep trying to save ourselves. We look to Egypt. We look to the world. We try to appease Babylon. And you want us to hear you in Isaiah's words. You continue to hold us in the palm of your hand and you lovingly guide us and care for us. And in the end, you are there for us. Heavenly Father, hide your words in our hearts. Let us hear the words of Isaiah, what the prophet is trying to tell us and carve those words deep down inside of us on our hearts. Give us the lessons we must learn and that we should only learn and only can learn from you. Guide us in your perfect path. Your plan of redemption is so incredible. Heavenly Father, let us not try to smooth out your rock. Lord Jesus, you died in our place to redeem us, to save us, and you are so incredible. And we love you, and we bless you, and we honor you. And we sing praise to you. We bring praise to the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.